you remember the nasty end to Canto 24 when Fucci had prophetically cursed Dante with future suffering. Well, Canto 25 underlines this detail about Fucci that whilst he changes, moving from human form to ash and then back to human form, nothing changes inside him at all because at this moment at the beginning of the new canto he raises his fists in a gesture to God and says here God I have shaped these just for you it's tantamount to a V sign to heaven um, shows you just how trapped he is what difference is that going to make to God and then Dante says that the serpents who have been surrounding all these souls, enveloping them, biting them, cursing them, changing them, became Dante's friends in that moment because they swirled around Fucci, they strapped so tightly to him that he couldn't move, showing visibly how the poison in his veins stops him from moving out of this chasm of Malabolge. It's a brutal moment which leads Dante, the poet, to comment that Caponaeus, who remember the blasphemer who too had sworn to Jupiter to throw all his thunderbolts down that he liked, they wouldn't harm and touch him. Well, Caponaeus is not as bad as this chap Fucci, because Fucci has not only cursed God, but has cursed Dante too. And it can make a difference to Dante. Dante did suffer in that moment. Then, seemingly without warning, Fucci runs off. And we get intimation of why, because then galloping on appears a centaur. This is the centaur Cacus. And he is half horse, half human, but now covered in snakes as well, with moreover a dragon breathing fire, flapping its wings wrapped around his neck. It's like a, a centaur gone completely crazy. And we learn that um, Cacus, the centaur, is in this um, circle of hell, not with his brothers, as it said, um, in the circle of the violence where we met the centaurs before, um, because Cacus's parenthood is different. He is the child of Vulcan. And moreover, his story depicts him ha as a calculating thief. Um, he's not just violent, there's something cool and calculating about his actions because we know from classical mythology that Cacus had stolen cattle and he dragged them to his cave backwards so that the cattle's hooves stomped into the ground, making it look as if they were moving away from his cave, not towards it. He's then caught by Hercules, who clubs him to death, beats him to death. Um, but I think that that's why Cacus is here, um, because he... Um, shows, again, another kind of degree of thievery. It's not just violence, which you might say um, is a sin um, of incontinence, you know, instincts, compulsion, um, unthinking in the moment. Now, Cacus is a thinking, calculating fraudster, and that's why he finds himself in this lower circle of hell. He then gallops off, and Dante and Virgil notice three shades beneath them now. And there's an interesting play in the canto here because um, the contrast between the three shades and the two of them um, is underlined. And we're kind of alerted to 
a new round of metamorphoses um, that's about to come up, um, the play of three and two and one. Um, and in fact, in a way, this is what the bulk of this canto is about. Um, it's, if we've had Fucci, who was a perversion um, of the rebirth of resurrection that was no rebirth at all, um, we're left wondering now what combination of curiosity and nausea about what is about to be revealed is underlined because Dante remarks that one of the souls gives a name away. We don't know who they are yet, um, but he shouts out, where has Kianfa gone? And we wonder who Kianfa is and who these other souls are. And then also Dante turns to Virgil as if Virgil's about to sort of speak and explain more about the shades and perhaps in their mutual telepathy, Virgil knows that this is what Dante is asking. But Dante asks Virgil, tells Virgil to be quiet by putting his finger to his lips. And it's a really intriguing gesture because that's not happened before. Um, you know, you wonder whether Dante is equal with his master in this moment in terms of expectation and learning. Um, you wonder whether he wants to experience the Bolger full on without the protection of his master now for the first time. These are possibilities. I also wonder whether this set is setting us up for um, a faux sacred moment. You know, much as you might keep silence in the most holy moments um, of a religious ritual. Um, so here too, we're going to see something that's a deeply perverse sacred moment. And so the gesture is setting us up to um, look as deeply as we, as we possibly can into what we're about to see. And what we do see is truly horrendous. It's in two movements and it involves now humans and serpents morphing into each other in various ways. And it takes on this extra twist because we learn that actually the serpents are humans too on the other side of the metamorphosis. So there's not demons here cursing human beings. We realise that these serpents running around this bulger aren't devilish fiends. They're actually human beings too. Um, thieves playing on each other in this horrible way, even as they steal their form from each other. Now, the first of these grotesque transformations um, concerns a sinner whose name we learn at the end. Um, his name is um, Agnolo. And I want to read a little bit from Mark Muser's translation of what happens because it's, it's pretty grim and pretty brutal. So Dante says, while I was watching them, all of a sudden a serpent, and it had six feet, shot up and hooked one of these wretches, that's Agnolo, with all six of his feet. With the middle feet, he hugged the sinner's stomach and with the front ones grabbed him by the arms and bit him first through one cheek, then the other. The serpent spread his hind legs round both thighs, then stuck its tail between the sinner's legs and up against his back, the tail slid stiff. Dante goes on to describe, you know, never was ivy so tightly twisted around a tree. He says it's a bit like watching wax melting and then forming into another puddle of wax so that the two mingle. Um, he also says it's a bit like watching a flame begin to consume a page, turning it brown as the flame creeps up. Now, the other two shades are looking on in horror. And when this metamorphosis is, is complete, when um, this figure has become a kind of combination of snake and human, 
um, with limbs and heads and bodies all twisted and conjoined. Um, he shouts out, O oh, Agnolo, you're not two, but neither are you one. And I think this is a kind of um, a reference to the incarnation. Um, in the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation, um, God and man, human, human form, become one um, in a perfect joining of these two natures. Um, it's a completion or a fulfilment of humanity, which we're going to learn a, a, a huge amount more through the purgatory and into the paradise. But now um, a perversion of this fulfilment is um, prefigured, prefigures um, the, the actual fulfilment here down in hell. Um, I should say that I'm indebted to this particular insight um, to the Digital Dante, which is a really wonderful online resource um, for understanding these cantos. Um, in this canto, Dante only describes um, the metamorphoses with these occasional hints like you're not two, but neither are you one. Um, and it leaves a lot um, to the imagination to try and work out um, quite what this all means. And so I'm grateful um, for the nudge there from the digital Dante. Now we then turn to what happens to these two standing souls. Um, and we're told that one of them, who's called Boozo, um, he is approached now by another snake. Um, it's said to be um, a, a black adder. And first of all, um, the snake fixes a stare into a Boozo's eyes so that he's kind of entranced. Um, and then some smoke starts to appear around, enveloping the two, before the snake bites Boozo right in the navel. Dante explains that the navel is the place where the um, unborn child feeds from. And so now that the snake has attacked the navel, we're expecting some kind of perversion of what should be a beautiful, nurturing, nourishing process where the embryo is transformed into a new baby with the potential to become fully human. And that's played out because what happens now is it's not like Fuchi, where um, the snake had bitten, he became ash, then returned to being human, um, a perversion of resurrection. Um, neither, neither is it like um, Agnolo, where um, he and the snake um, become one in a perversion of um, the incarnation. Instead now, the snake who's looking on starts to become a human, even as the human figure, um, Brozo, morphs into a snake. Um, it's described in a series of stages where at first the snake's tail starts to split into legs, even as the legs of Boozo start to join into one. Um, as Boozo's arms retreat, so the snake produces limbs. As his face is pulled back, flattening his human features, so the snake produces a snout and looks like a human form. It's described in a number of grotesque, kind of mesmerizing sets of, um, of, of transmutation. And until eventually um, the snake has become a man, and it turns out that this is a soul called Francesco. So what have we witnessed here? Well, I go a step beyond Digital Dante this time, and I think this is a perversion of theosis. Resurrection, incarnation, and then theosis is the process by which we reach into the highest heavens, as Dante is going to eventually, um, by which we become able to share in the divine nature. 
And the reason why I think this might be about theosis is that what you've seen in the description between the snake and the human, and then the human becoming a snake, um, is a kind of competition. Um, there's a sense of terrible claustrophobia as one move mirrors another, mirrors another, mirrors another, um, in a kind of deadly mechanical transmutation. And that competitive um, action um, is the complete opposite of the completion of the human, where the divine nature doesn't need to force out anything of the human, and the human doesn't need to force in anything of itself into the divine, um, but that they, as we will see in the paradise, um, they form in a perfect harmony, a perfect unity. Um, for now, we're left with a horrible kind of echo, um, a ghastly mirror of the destination that Dante um, will eventually find himself moving towards. Dante invites us, his readers, to hold in mind what we've seen if we can tolerate it, and to contemplate what it might mean. And he does so by saying how what he's seen and the transformations which he's described are surely greater than those described by his classical predecessors, in particular by Ovid and Lucan, who are both known for their descriptions of transformation. And it's sometimes said this is a boast, and it can sound a bit like Dante is boasting that his art is greater. But I think that actually what Dante is saying here is that where they saw it in their imaginations, he has seen this now directly, so he's seen it more fully, more completely, in all its horror. And that's why he also adds, um, forgive me, he says, dear reader, if my pen doesn't manage to capture it fully. Again, that also leaves open this kind of invitation to us to enter into what we're reading imaginatively to see whether it too can speak to us directly as well. Dorothy Sayers in her commentary on this canto says the trouble with the thieves is that they confuse the me and the you. They can't hold on to their own form even as they're stealing from others and I think there's something in that and it's perhaps particularly pressing for spiritual searchers um, now in the 21st century where for example there's a lot of interest about oneself and how that relates to ideas of either dying to self, as the Christians put it, or uh, moving towards a realisation of no self, as it's sometimes put um, in Indian philosophical traditions. And what we're getting here, I think, is an intimation of how tricky this is to really know and to move towards, and maybe how easy it is to get it wrong, um, but either you can denigrate yourself um, and so not become all that you might be, um, or you can get so fixated on yourself that you hinder that transformation as well. The canto ends with Dante completely confused. He says, you won't believe what I've described. That's not surprising. I couldn't believe what I'd seen either. And so we're left contemplating one of the most dramatic cantos um, of um, the Inferno so far. And so it ends with a kind of stunned disbelief and for us a wonder of what on earth is going to happen next.